0: Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a Certified Rehabilitation Counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider,
1: a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children,
0: one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities.
1: Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Two Moms No Fluff, where we discuss all things about raising children with disabilities. I'm Alma Schneider, and I'm here with my partner, Iris Meller, and as always, we have a very important topic to discuss with you. I'll let Iris uh, present it to you.
0: Hello, Alma, and hello to all of our listeners—the uh, ones that we have been with us from the very beginning, the get-go of this podcast—and the ones that are joining us today for the first time. We appreciate you being here, and hopefully, you learn something new. Today, Welcome. we're going to discuss decision-making process, especially when it comes to our children rehabilitation plan. There are so many different modalities out there, and so many alternative methods of uh, treating different elements. And uh, sometimes as parents, we are just swamped with information and we really don't know what would work the best and what would be the best choice for our family. So Mm. today we're going to dissect this topic a little bit and hopefully it would help you in your decision-making process. Mm.
1: Okay, that is true. There are a lot of decisions that have to be made with, with parenting in general but sometimes the decisions are more fraught, the decision making process is more fraught with you know anxiety and second guessing yourself when you have a child with additional needs because you wonder even more than just typical parenting is this going to have an impact, a negative impact or positive impact on our child's present or and future. Something that I think is really important to start off with is that it's not just about how it will impact your child. It's about how it will impact the entire family, the siblings, uh, the parents' uh, stress level. So we're going to talk about some different scenarios and how to maybe, you know, hopefully we'll be able to help you navigate a little bit uh, how to how to make a decision that you ultimately feel comfortable with uh, that was the right decision for for your child and for your family as a whole uh would you like to start
0: with an example sure. or? i by example i'm a living example here Alma. <laughs> if i could go back in time and just slap my old self in the face <laughs> to just like get things straight here with the person i used to be at the very beginning of this journey and um, basically you know a uh, I'll talk a little bit about the concept of early intervention now. There is such a big fuss in the I guess the disability industry and general education field about the first five years and that window of opportunity that would close and never reopen again, etc. etc. The amount of pressure that is put on the parents to fix the problem, the problem being the child or the disability within those five years is incredible. And I am the first living example that you people can meet today that fell into that trap and the crazy, crazy things that we have done as a family. I can write a book about that. We <laughs> didn't save any resources, time, effort, money at the first few years of my daughter's life if we could like reverse the verdict and create a better future for her. And a better future could have been any little progress, if she could like maybe use a pincher grasp, if she could talk, if she could sit, if she could stand. There were so many things that we just, if she could only roll in bed on her own little things, we just wanted a little progress. And we went to the extreme length of, I don't know, investment in order to achieve that. And uh, obviously, as we all know, nothing substantial has happened through all of those therapies the things that really did work were the intimate things that we did at home privately when we were kind of in the intimacy of our triangle mother father daughter etc and i i wish i could go back in time and uh, and tell myself stop like just stop just enjoy the first few years with your baby enjoy her just being a parent enjoy holding hugging spending time going on walks the rest doesn't really matter and uh, if uh, someone is listening to us today and they are at the beginning of this journey I my recommendation is less is more (laughs) that's my first statement to open the discussion today
1: yeah it's it's so you know easier said than done it's it's there's so much pressure as you said to do you know you hear other parents like oh I did this 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 and this and then a lot of parents feel like oh I'm not doing any of that am I a lousy parent I was definitely in that boat where uh, with Prader-Willi syndrome I was on a listserv and all these parents were talking about have you tried CoQ10 and all this? And of course we fell into it and we went out and we bought this this thing and these vitamins and and you know the speech we were in early intervention, but a lot of people continued on doing all these out of, you know, uh these programs outside of the school once he got old enough. And just because of the mere fact that I had three other kids, I basically said, I can't do all of, I can't, it would be damaging all of my other kids. And I would be so stressed out if I drove him after school to these other appointments when he's already getting it in school. Um, But a lot of people did that and they were able to, and they felt good about doing it for me personally. I was, I thought, okay, I had to look at the other side of it instead of going to these extra appointments that who knows they might've helped. They might not have probably wouldn't have to be honest. Um, Once a week for 45 minutes, you know, who's to say, but I opted to think about the fact that my son was going to get socialization at home, being with his siblings, um, and his interactions with them were going to be more, uh, helpful and beneficial to him than all of us having to get in the car. Cause it would have been all of us getting in the car to take him to an appointment and my other kids were not going to be happy about that. And I was going to be stressed and we'd have to do it quickly and we might be late. And then I had that stressor. Um it's going to cost extra money. So it's really important to step back when you're considering making a decision about your child's treatment or, you know, his plan or her plan. Um, and therapies and to think okay this might help a little bit with speech but what it's going to cause in terms of the whole family dynamic and stress level it's not worth it you know it's not worth it so to have you know blinders on you know with this tunnel vision of but I have to do it because I have to do every single thing possible for myself it might not when you don't look outside the box it might not it might, it actually might not be, it's not a cop-out or a, you know, being lazy. It really could be more beneficial to take the road less traveled and um, something important to, to think about.
0: Yes, this, this is very important. I think that uh, we tend to sometimes focus on the here and now with our children. Mm-hmm. The, at the very beginning of the disability journey it's so painful to think about the future. If someone had suggested to me the option of wheelchairs at the very first uh, few years, I was just like, it was so foreign to me. And so egodystonic that I could not even think about that possibility. It was unheard of. I couldn't imagine my own child using a wheelchair. And I couldn't, because of that, envision or think or consider expenses that would come along the way later on, like a wheelchair accessible van, like the cost of a, let's say, power wheelchair because our kid was obviously unable to self propel in a manual wheelchair. I didn't want to consider building a wheelchair accessible home. All of those things that uh, are the reality of our life right now, that I wish I would have planned for and saved all of that money on flight tickets, paying all those experts or wannabe experts that uh, so easily kind of uh, used maybe our panic and our will to to be active rather than passive. And uh, all of that money could have been so much more important when we look at the lifelong span of a child with a disability. Mm -hmm. And um, What I I want to say is that uh, when you're making decisions about therapy and modalities that you're going to use with your child, try to step back and look at the child's life in the grand scheme of things. What does that mean if you choose route A or B? Um, And again, I feel that (laughs) I I made many, many mistakes with that. But in many ways, now that people come to me all excited about a new new modality, a new piece of equipment, and a new uh, therapy that we can use, I always look at it with a grain of salt. And the parameters that you were mentioning are the things that I like to consider now what does this cost for my family as a whole and not and not in terms of money but time travel effort how would i look at the end of the day if i drove two hours with my daughter and come back home to greet my son would i have the energy to smile <laughs> like that that's the the little things that uh, in the past i didn't use to consider i just like uh I was totally committed to doing whatever I can and whatever was anything and everything. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is obviously the financial expense. This is, you know, we have a a certain amount of money and the way that we spend it, even if it is all for the benefit of our child with a disability, there is a way to do it that would return maybe or yield the most uh, results per investment. So think about that. And, um, and also kind of your own emotional beliefs or what do you feel good with? For example, I'm, I'm kind of shying away a lot from the medical uh, modalities. I would prefer to do a hundred other things than a kind of a medical procedure that is under full anesthesia for example so in that uh, with that mindset it obviously I have my values and I would choose therapies or things that would go along with that if something doesn't coexist or like uh, coincides with what I am most uh, worried of then obviously i'll shy away from it it can be the best solution but uh, for me it's it doesn't sit well with how i react to life
1: yeah yeah and we we kind of addressed that um you know in another episode about the idea of um you know just even making those decisions thinking about society and what other people are doing, it's a constant, we have to constantly brace ourselves for dealing with the medical community who might poo poo what you're doing. Like, "Mm, you should really do this because this will make a big difference. We know our families best, we know our children best, and we, we know what's best, you know, and over time, you may not know very early on in your journey, But the older your child gets, the more experience you have, the more people you talk with who are in the same situation or similar situations as you, you'll start getting a sense. You'll become more confident because you might be saying right now, I have no idea what's going to help my child or not. And that makes it really stressful. It really does. But eventually, as you get to know your child in the context of your family and how they're progressing, you will become the expert on your child. You just will, It'll, it, it has to happen. So just remember that if you're feeling you know, very unstable and insecure about your ability to make a decision right now, you will be eventually. So there is gonna be that time period where you might be trying everything, like Iris was saying she did in the beginning, as I did in the beginning as well. Um, But as time went on, I got more and more comfortable knowing that "Mm, that's not, you know, I haven't had great experiences in in that area, so I'm not going to put all my energy eggs in that basket, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go with what seems to be working, my son, for example, seems to be very social, so I'm going to focus on, you know, making play dates with Friends who have kids, you know, that he might get along with, as opposed to joining a social skills group with strangers, where I'm going to have to travel, you know, in the rain and get all my kids packed up in the car to go. You know, there's there are different ways to kind of accomplish what you want to accomplish. So these are, you know, just some some different strategies. Uh, something else that I wanted to mention was. Um, uh, the autism community. I just want to give like a special shout out to the autism community because I something that I am have been so hyper aware of since the early days of my parenting a child with a disability that that the autism community is uh, the parents are it is so tough. It seems like because so many children have been diagnosed with autism. There are so many strategies and therapies being thrown at all the parents. And there is so much pressure, especially for kids who are nonverbal, to try all oh, a zillion different things. And um, a lot of parents that I've come into contact with feel so much guilt for not doing all the therapies, and it's impossible to do all those therapies. There's no way to find out if your child is, you know, in there and hearing you, and it has the ability to be connected, and it's really tough, and I just, you know, I just want to mention that because it seems to me, and I, you know, just in the general population, I see things thrown around on social media and with people I talk to about all these different things that they're trying, and that is all-consuming, and you know, the worst thing in the world is to have your child with a disability completely consume your life, so that you're not paying attention to to the other aspects of your life that are really important and important to maintain a safe and secure support system for your child with a disability. So it's really important to focus on marriage, to focus, you know, or your partnership or supports in your family to keep those ties going, than to be at a therapy session, you know, every waking hour after school or before, you know, before your child is old enough for school and be out of the house and have a babysitter with your other kids if possible. You know, you wanna be able to have a balance. Even with a child with a disability, it is possible to have a, a more balanced life. Maybe not as balanced as you'd like it to be, but somewhat balanced. That can be something that you aspire to. It doesn't, you know, if you find yourself you know blocking the hours that you're spending on therapies and things that might work you might want to take a step back and say okay I'm there is just so much I can do I need to do less of this and more of this to make sure that every everybody's needs are being addressed including and most importantly your own needs so that you have the stamina because uh, again, this is a marathon, not a race, and we need to be able to maintain our sanity and our energy to continue on um, taking care of our kids' most basic needs and our own basic needs.
0: Yeah, I I want to follow on on those points with some practical kind of guidelines that I painfully gained on my own by making mistakes, people. So I'll <laughs> share share I'll share my knowledge now, a hard earned knowledge. So one of the things that uh, I want to encourage people to do when they are seeking a new modality or therapy method with their child, to make sure that the practitioner, not the method in general, the specific practitioner that you're going to see that they have experience with uh, the disability that your child is having or as closely uh, related to your child's disability. So let's say uh, if your person is an expert and works with lots of children who are using wheelchairs but 90% of them have spina bifida and your child has cerebral palsy do not go <laughs> do not go because it's very very different the other recommendation that I have is that if your the practitioner does not have an experience with that specific disability and is willing to uh, take you pro bono or for free, do not go either. Even though you're trying to do good for your child and this is something that is free and it's so hard to find something that is uh, affordable or doesn't cost any money. Let me tell you people, if that person needs to learn on your child, they should be paying you, not the other way around. Your time, effort and um, the privilege of even touching or manipulating your child in one way or another is uh, something that is very valuable and you don't want to kind of subject your child to be a guinea pig for someone just because you're desperate for help mm-hmm. and uh, the other thing that i have to say is that uh, while some uh, methods or uh, therapies did not work for my child I was grateful to be there because of the opportunity to meet with other parents in an exact or very similar situation to ours. And those opportunities to connect and to kind of share the journey with other parents was sometimes more valuable and priceless than the actual therapy that my child received. And. In that uh, sense, if you have the opportunity to choose something that you are going through solo or to choose something that you can go through with other parents and other children, choose the route that would break the isolation barrier for you. Mm -hmm. And um, my final uh, point in this to-do list (laughs) that I just shared is uh, what you were saying about uh, sharing it with your spouse. If you have a partner, if you have a spouse, make sure that the decision-making is something that you guys do together. Because the effort, whether, uh, whether it's the financial effort or the physical effort of participating in that therapy and maybe doing the exercises at, at home later on, et cetera, should be a family effort. And especially for the first couple of meetings with a new practitioner, doctor, therapist, whatever it is, it's really valuable to have a second pair of eyes and ears in the room. So you don't miss on something because you are so kind of entangled in emotions when it comes to your child. Um, I think that has been very valuable for us and very valuable and helpful when later on, we had to kind of uh, do, I guess, an extension or continue on with the therapy at home that we were both kind of in the know about what it is that we're trying to accomplish, why, and how to do it. So try to uh, partner.
1: And on that note, it's really important because when making decisions, uh, and it doesn't have to be with yours. If you don't have a spouse or a partner, it can just be a family member who is kind of in the know just to have a second pair of ears, as you mentioned, uh, or eyes, or some kind of way to understand it. it is, there is so much conflict, you know, that we've seen over the years with, with different couples with d- the decision-making with, for the child. So not everyone is always on the same page, even if they might be partners um, or family members. And this comes up quite a bit with medication where one person is for medication, one person's against it. And I've seen couples for years who have this tension and conflict. Um, so in those situations, it's really important, uh, to have, uh, you can't just say, I don't want our kid to go on medication. He's too young or she's too young, or, um, I want the kid to go on medication, you know, even though they're three years old, something that I would recommend is to have, um, you can't just say it, you have to back it up with why. And so getting friends or professionals to explain, to, you know, very, in a very understandable, user-friendly manner, uh, the the pros and the cons, the, you know, if you have friends whose children have gone on medication and it's been a huge help, these are all things that can help the family come to a decision that everybody agrees on, because you never want to have a situation where, especially with medication, there's a side effect. You know, you never know. What's going to happen with medication, unfortunately, sometimes there is a side effect that is unexpected or expected, but it's rare. And then it happens where the other, where one partner saying, see, I told you so you shouldn't, you know, I let you do this. Everybody's going to come together and be on the same page when a decision is made as much as possible. It's not always, you know, it's not always going to be perfect, but as much as possible, it's important to, to do that, to get the information so that you can both have the knowledge to, to decide. Uh, something else that I wanted to mention is about, um, you know, for people who have older children, this idea of college and how, you know, making this decision, it, you know, you might, I'm just thinking about someone um, in our community who one would not have expected to go to college and the parents spent an astronomical amount of money on sending the kid to college when they really, when it was more of a, oh, well the kid wants to do what everybody else is doing and that's important. That's a whole lot of money um, to spend (laughs) on college for someone who is not necessarily going to be able to use that experience for future uh, success. So I've been very concerned about it because um i do not think that my son should go to college because i don't think that that will be a benefit to him but i want to use but i also feel a little guilty because i want him to have the experience that his siblings had but i'm going to try to make a life for him that is that is kind of a parallel to um going to college with the activities and maybe taking classes here and there so it's like a college program but it's not exactly you know it's not in college because to me the thought of spending an astronomical amount of money even if there's a program that's available to him at a college to meet him where his intellectual needs are met spending that kind of money seems like something that our family is not going to want to do or need to do. Why I don't feel that we need to do it. there's I don't think there will be a benefit at all to doing that. and that money could be better spent on him in a group home or him being able to go on trips, you know, on vacations and things like that uh, to improve the quality of his life, not to keep up with the Joneses, you know, because they all go to college or that my other kids went to college. it's painful you know, that he won't have the same experience as them. Possibly, but I'm not going to pay $80,000 a year (laughs) to assuage that sadness. It's better used for something else. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge the pressures of the people in your world that might push you in a direction that may not be the best decision for you. And to always keep that in mind that I don't need to follow what they're doing. I can do it my own way. I know my kid best. I can do it this way.
0: Yes, and and that's so important because this is really decision making what what we do in terms of therapy is also so relevant to education choices and to how we make decisions as parents for our other Mm -hmm. children as well so i'm glad that you brought that up and. uh, Definitely. I think you guys are going down the route of unschooling. Now that he's in college, <laughs> we can have a conversation about that. Everyone, yes, yes, we
1: will eventually be homeschooling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I want to take a couple of minutes just to talk before we end about a, a hospital setting when you need to make decisions about uh, your child situation in the hospital um normally people find being in the hospital and being surrounded by you know the the experts in in a medical field um very challenging and uh, to maybe uh choose something against medical advice is uh, ama is is one of those hardest points especially if there's kind of time constraints and you need to kind of uh fastly make a decision um In those situations, I recommend that first of all, you understand the answer to the question, is this urgent? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because sometimes you get the sense of urgency, but actually it can wait a few months. It doesn't need to happen right here, right now. Mm -hmm. The other question that I uh, recommend parents get answered to is what kind of information uh, or benefit a procedure has and what is the rate of success sometimes uh, there is a protocol that requires that in situation a b and c you do such and such interventions but the actual benefit of those interventions can be so minimal if you compare it to the actual pain and misery that is going to be caused to the child and uh, sometimes the pain and misery can just be as simple as like uh, having a baby fast for 24 hours which can be really challenging and uh, and even that's something that you might want to consider if you want to go through with your child especially like let's say if this is an mri that can tell you about an event in the past and not anything predictive for the future so ask the, the questions never hesitate to get a second third or fourth opinion if you have the time and you can afford to do it do it. And this uh, would be really meaningful. And also, if you can, ask the hospital, ha- ask uh, the social worker to connect you with other parents who have done this procedure with the um, with their own child. Sometimes um, there is a tendency to undermine the recovery process and say, oh, it takes Two three weeks and they will be fine afterwards but you don't get the full description and parents are surprised that their maybe child's body is completely in cast and they now need to do x x and y for even using the bathroom the amount of pain that is uh, involved in the recovery pro- process make sure that you make decisions when you have as much information as you can possibly gather when you have the opportunity in some cases, I know you're in the hospital, this is an emergency, you don't have a, a way and you have to maybe trust in the uh, medical staff and, and hope for the best and just uh, kind of go with the flow of the process. But when you do have the choice, please uh, make do as much research as you can and uh, and know that you can refuse uh, procedures even if they are recommended by a medical professional. Yes,
1: absolutely, So the cost. Benefit analysis of
0: everything.
1: That's really the crux of this episode. It's the cost benefit analysis, but it can get complicated figuring out what the cost and benefit are.
0: It's Um, under pressure.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not a simple process. Um, Two more things I want to note before we end. And one is just because you decide, for example, that it's going to be too taxing for your child or for your family or for your wallet to take your child to occupational therapy um, outside of the house. Another option that's in between, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I, for example, um, got, uh, it. we have a local college near us and um, I have the special ed department, I am sort of on a master list of, for the students um, who need to do work. So I know that Iris was saying, we don't want our kids to be guinea pigs. For things that are not gonna harm them, for example, like hanging out with them, working on goals. For example, Um, I have had numerous students come to my house. And the key sentence there is come to my house, I don't have to go anywhere. They come to my house, they keep my kid occupied for like two hours, I don't pay a dime and I can cook dinner in peace. So I've done this many times where they come and they either interview my son for a project. And my, by the way, your son, your child has to be amenable to this. My son happens to be extremely social and loves meeting new people. So this is like a perfect situation for me. They come to the house, it's free. They occupy and he feels like he's helping other people because it's, you know, it's, and it's advancing, you know their degree so that they can be a teacher who's got a good experience at some point so it's a win 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 for me for my child and for the student so that's another thing that you can do if you you know don't want to leave the house don't want to drag all your other kids or drive in the snow to get to some OT appointment after school so that's uh, one thing and then secondly I want to talk just very briefly about um, the the an unfortunate uh phenomenon of people shaming you for doing something for your child or not doing something for your child and to keep a clear head about it and to know that you're doing the best that you can and to know that um you really know your child best. And I really wanna mention about ABA therapy, which a lot of people who have children with autism, uh, it is a very polarizing issue. Some people feel that it is abuse for children. It's applied, what is it? Applied behavioral analysis? I think so. behavioral application. It's basically a reward system for certain behaviors. And it's a very polarizing issue. And even within the disability community, parents are shamed for having their children go through this because they say you wouldn't treat a dog this way, um, that it's not humane to, to have you know a reward system. And I just want to say that for some parents who have children with extremely difficult and dangerous behaviors, where ABA is the only therapy that seems to make an impact, you go with that. You know, I have uh, people in my community whose children wipe their poop on the wall and eat their poop. And ABA therapy has been effective in diminishing those behaviors. If I were presented with ABA and they were going to help in those situations, you better believe that I would be doing ABA. But it hurts, I'm sure, for parents to hear about how that's abuse, that's that's um, you know, that's detrimental to the child. There are some behaviors, you know, and again, you know your child best. If it's working and um, maybe, you know, you don't want that to be the long-term therapy, but if there is a behavior that really needs to be modified and that's working for you, you go with it and find the people who agree with you to support you because it must be really hard to be listening to all these people around you telling you how what a terrible job you're doing when you're doing your, your best to keep your child
0: safe and functioning awesome alma i think that if someone has something to take from this episode is that you have your own set of things to consider when you do your own decision making about therapies accept and appreciate that other people did the same and reached their own conclusion in short live and let live and uh, this is really important also in the disability community. So Alma, thank you for everything that you shared today thank about you. decision-making when it comes to rehabilitation and therapy for our kids. Uh, anything else as we're parting ways? I don't think so. Thank you. I learned a lot from you as well. <laughs> and
1: uh, we just hope to see you next week. And thank you so much. Don't forget to put uh, your your what's worked for you and experiences that you've had um, around decision-making that maybe can help other people. And don't forget to give us our five-star rating so that people who really need to hear this, um, it will this podcast will reach them the more reviews we have and uh, five-star ratings online. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. For more information, please go to www.2momsnofluff.com.
1: Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.